Thank you so much for joining us in worship. My name is Adam, and I'm the senior pastor here at First United Methodist Church. We are uh, trying a lot of new things as we prepare to reopen, and we recorded a service live in our sanctuary. We're very excited about that. But you may notice some sound issues throughout the service. Don't worry. You may have to ride your, your volume control a little bit. Uh, but we are working this all out and can't wait to be together real soon. Let's go to God together.
So I uh, learned some new recipes. My wife has started a calligraphy instruction book. Uh, my kid has picked up gardening. So we've just learned all sorts of new stuff during quarantine. I, I noticed in a couple stores I've been to, the bike racks are totally empty. I saw an article online that described the bread-making boom. People are like, nothing else to do, let's make some sourdough. I don't know. So uh, I guess a lot of folks are making bread now. People are learning all sorts of new stuff while we've been distributed. What if, in addition to gardening, to biking, or bread making, what if we use this time to learn how to pray? So for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at one of the most famous parts of Scripture, the Lord's Prayer. It's the prayer Jesus taught, and what I hope we'll discover together today is that Jesus' prayer prescribes our priorities. If you've been a Christian a long time, you may have absorbed the idea that prayer is important. Or maybe if you're newer to faith, you might have your own concepts about what it means to pray, or, or maybe it's a struggle to get started. You may have a lot of questions, I think a lot of us do. Wherever you're at on the spiritual spectrum, I think a perfectly valid question is why pray? But what good does it do? What for, as my friend likes to say? A few weeks ago I made the confession that, that prayer strikes me as annoying when I conceive of it as bringing my sad list before God to do something about. Like, why does God need me to do that? That's annoying. The utility of prayer, this is a common subject, especially online. Well, what's it for? What good does it do? The phrase thoughts and prayers has become kind of a cynical platitude online. Folks make fun of it. After a national crisis, and there's plenty to pick from, we got a couple going on right now. A lot of folks will, will make a statement or they'll, they'll make a social media post and they'll include the phrase, my thoughts and prayers are with so-and-so at this time. And then there's this backlash to this idea that thoughts and prayers don't do anything. Right, here's, here's a meme, it's a truckload. Excellent news, the first truckload of your thoughts and prayers has just arrived. Right, or, or, or folks will make fun of them that they're useless. Right, instead of doing something, of all the other levers you could push, you're going to go with thoughts and prayers. Or that people will hide behind this phrase, thoughts and prayers, and, and use it as a shield from taking action. Right? They, 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 won't, they won't actually do anything. Rather, they're just going to go with thoughts and prayers. There we go. Drink needed to make an appearance today. <laughs> so before we talk about how we pray, let's talk about why we pray. Jesus prayed a lot. Like, that's a pretty good place to start. Would you agree? In Luke 5, 16, we read this. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. We get some other details in Mark chapter 1. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus made a habit of withdrawing early in the morning to a place of solitude to pray. Now for some of y'all, this is good news. You early risers, you introverts in your alone time, which I don't understand. Uh, oh man, this, this sounds like a heavy load to me. I, I'm a person who doesn't like to get up any earlier than I need to. I love church at seven at night, by the way. This is great. I tell folks before 10, I guess right, I tell folks, I tell folks before 10 a.m. I'm faking it, right? But some of y'all are like me. 
right? You, you'd rather not wake up super early. You'd rather be around people because that gives you energy. But this pattern of Jesus was so evident and his disciples saw the power in it that they asked him how they could possess the same ability. We read about this when the disciples asked how they could learn to pray like Jesus. This is from the book of Luke, chapter 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was teaching in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And this is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. Gospel is simply a word that means good news. And these four Gospels are four biographies of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And you can find a lot of the same concepts in, in these four Gospels. A lot of the same material is kind of spread throughout. And so in the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, we see another similar conversation that, that Jesus is sharing with his disciples how to pray. Right, there, there's four of the Gospels, and again, you'll find a lot of the same stuff within them. And, and, and so some people will ask, well, why is Matthew 6 different from Luke 11 when, when we're kind of covering the same material? The different authors kind of tailored their Gospels, their biographies, to their audiences. And so that's why the material is arranged in different ways, or some of them kind of cover different angles. So what we'll read today in Luke 11 is a shorter version of the Lord's Prayer that we'll uh, see in Matthew 6, or the prayer we said earlier in the service. Uh, but Luke captures the curiosity of Jesus' disciples. That's one of the reasons I love this passage. The disciples have been traveling with Jesus, ministering with him, seeing his miracles firsthand, being a part of his ministry. He's been modeling this pattern of prayer for them. And so finally one of them says, and we're not sure, Lord, teach us to pray. This to me is fascinating. Think of all the things the disciples have seen Jesus do. So far in the book of Luke, we have Jesus feeding the 5,000 in chapter 10, healing people with demons in chapter 9, calming a storm in chapter 8, raising a widow's son from the dead in chapter 8, and healing those with leprosy and paralysis in Luke chapter 5. This is just to name a few. And so I find it so fascinating that they didn't say to Jesus, Jesus, teach us to multiply food. Teach us to cure demons. Jesus, teach us to turn water into wine. That would be an excellent side hustle, right? Pretty low overhead, I think. That's not what they asked him. No, they saw the connection between Jesus and his father was fostered through prayer, and they wanted to possess this as well. They asked him to teach them to pray as John taught his disciples. This is referring to John the Baptist. That was Jesus' cousin who, who kind of came before. He was like the appetizer for Jesus. He made a name for himself, John the Baptist did, as a teacher who called people to repentance. And he spoke about the coming Savior who would soon arrive, Jesus Christ. The disciples can be a bit dense sometimes, can't they? Right? We're, we're the benefactors of this, by the way. They don't quite get it. They, they ask Jesus to repeat himself or, or say explicitly what he meant. And it's like when you're in class and the other kid asks the question you were thinking about, you're kind of like, okay, I wasn't the only one. We are the benefactors, the lucky recipients of the disciples' questions. And so in response, Jesus said to them, when you pray, say. So when, when, when Jesus responds to teach us to pray, he gives us some of the most uttered words in human history. A famous part of the Bible called the Lord's Prayer. So let's get into it. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. 
So let's start with Father. One of the most controversial aspects of Jesus' ministry was, was his insistence or his proclamation that he was the Son of God. As I'm fond of saying, this is the type of thing that gets you crucified. Add to that, Jesus not only characterized his relationship with God this way, Father to Son, but invites and instructs us to do the same. For many of us, God seems distant or indifferent, maybe confusing, confounding. According to Jesus, God wants to relate to us as a loving parent. There's a stark comfortability and intimacy with this picture of God. My daughter Betsy's three, and one of my favorite moments on a daily basis is when I come home from work and hear, Daddy! And she runs and attaches herself to my leg. One of the favorite moments every day for me. Now, I know that for a lot of us, familial language can be tough. Maybe the image of a, of a loving parent or, or God as a father doesn't sit well with you. But implicit in addressing God as, as a loving parent, as a father, implicit in that is the status conferred to us as God's precious children. This is the first thing the Son of God, Jesus, instructs us to pray, to refer to God as our Father. He then says in reference to our Father God, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed isn't a word I use a lot, maybe in October, like once or twice. But this is not common, common for me to say, I don't know about you. The NLT translation says this, may your name be kept holy. So Jesus instructs us to address God as Father in this very close, intimate way, but then in the same breath instructs us to preserve God's name as holy. Now in our Psalm 23 series, which we just wrapped up, I'd encourage you to check that out online, we talked about this a little bit, this concept of a name. In Psalm 23, verse 4, we read that God provides good things for his people and guides them for his name's sake. In biblical terms, someone's name refers to their character. It's their reputation. God's name is a major theme throughout the Bible. Very early on in God's dealings with people, when, when he provided Moses with the Ten Commandments, this was one of them. To not misuse the name of the Lord your God. So God's name isn't something to be messed with. This week I, I celebrated my one-year anniversary of being ordained. That meant I got to be a big boy pastor. Got the name tag, got the robe, and it was, it was, it was the culmination of a seven-year journey to become a pastor. Now, some folks might scoff at United Methodism and say, oh, too much red tape. Shouldn't take that long. All the bureaucracy. Well, I say that anyone thinks they can get up and claim to represent the name of God in a certain capacity should undergo at least a little vetting. Right? We want you to have to clear some hurdles if you're going to talk about the name of God. So God's name is God's character, God's reputation, and this is to be kept holy. This part of Jesus' prayer has two components. So do you ever think it's interesting that we're, so as we pray, hallowed be your name, we are telling God that God is holy. Well, why is that? Does God need a reminder? No, it's us who needs the reminder. Right? This serves as a reminder to keep us uh, fixed on keeping God's name holy. Then the question becomes, what does it mean for God's name to be holy? 
The Greek for Halloween in Luke 11:2 is hagiastheton, which means sanctified and pure. So in this sense, God's name is to be treated with reverence, with special respect. This word is associated with holy places like a sanctuary or a temple. Holiness in the Bible also carries with it a, a, a connotation of being special or being set apart. And, and, and to get us to think about this, I wanted to enter into what I know is a very controversial subject. Right, this is something that is, has divided homes against each other. It's very sensitive. I'm talking, of course, about decorative pillows. <laughs> decorative pillows. Many of us have these pillows on our beds at home. These pillows are not for sleeping on. They are for looking at. They are set apart. They're not the normal pillows you can just put your head on. No. They are to impress our guests with our vast and wide array of pillows. Right? God's holiness means that God's name is set apart. That God is, is different than us. God is pure, we are not. God is flawless, we are not. And our treatment of God's name should reflect this. Baked into the few words, Father, hallowed be thy name, are massive concepts. I love what Ken here said. When we lose our awe and reverential fear for God and treat God as if he were our heavenly buddy, we lose an appropriate understanding of who God is. His name is Father, but his name is also Holy. And so after the both and of God being as close to us as a parent, but set apart as holy, Jesus then instructs us to pray, your kingdom come. It is in this saying that, that we're asking God's holiness to increase and for us to participate in it. For God's holiness to be a concept that, that we can think about to something we experience and cooperate in. Reverend Dr. Tony Evans defined the kingdom of God as the visible demonstration of the comprehensive rule of God over every area of life. As God's kingdom expands, we cooperate with God. We are invited to participate. That's what we're praying when we say, your kingdom come. As God's holiness in us increases, we participate in the kingdom of God. We too become set apart. Our desires align with God's. Our lives begin to reflect God's goodwill for our lives individually and for all of humankind. These are just two verses, but we're praying for so much with each word that we utter that Jesus instructs us to do. I mentioned earlier that, that when I conceive a prayer as, as bringing my sadness to God, I get annoyed. But that's not how Jesus is laying, out, laying this prayer out. Our needs come later. Notice that we begin with God, with a declaration of who God is. We first praise God as our loving Father, whose name is worthy and whose kingdom we seek. The Lord's Prayer begins with admiration of God. That's the aspect of this part of the Lord's Prayer that I want us to really sink in this week. Admiration is the worship of something with deep love and respect. Jesus' prayer prescribes our priorities. First, 
we begin with the praise of God and putting things in the right order. In the next two weeks, we'll be talking about supplication or asking God to supply our needs. And we'll be talking about confession, our, our confessing to God our need for forgiveness. But those both come later. First, we begin in prayer that Jesus instructs us to do with adoration. You ever notice in a meeting or a conversation that the first comment that somebody makes kind of sets the tone for the rest of the meeting? I think that's fascinating. That's why I was trying to be the first to speak up with something positive. Right? And, and let's say you mess up the uh, Apostles' Creed, you just keep on going. Don't worry about it. <laughs> when we say the Lord's Prayer, we don't start with our mess. We don't start with what we need. We start with who God is. We'll, we'll get to what we want God to do later. We start with adoration. N.T. Wright is a British pastor and scholar and author. I know a lot of folks love uh, to get some resources to go along with our series, and so I would recommend to you a book called The Lord in His Prayer by N.T. Wright. He captures so well this movement of the Lord's Prayer that begins with God at the center. This is what he says. The Lord's Prayer is designed to help us make this change, a change of priority, not a change of content. This prayer doesn't pretend that pain and hunger aren't real. Some religions say that. Jesus didn't. This prayer doesn't use the greatness and majesty of God to belittle the human plight. Some religions do that. Jesus didn't. This prayer starts by addressing God intimately and lovingly as Father and by bowing before his greatness and majesty. If you can hold those two together, you're already on the way to understanding what Christianity is all about. Ooh, boy. You know, if a quote's two slides long, I, I couldn't trim anything out. I mean, I just think that is so good. The other reason I love that we start with adoration of God in the Lord's Prayer, I don't know if you've noticed this in your life, I definitely have. The more you're kind of used to something, the easier it is to take it for granted. Right? I was used to people just coming into church anytime they wanted. And we were talking before tonight. We had butterflies all day. Old people come to church. Right? Absence makes the heart grow fine. Sometimes, the more you're used to something, the easier it is to take it for granted. And I think we can fall victim to that when we conceive of God. Jesus is aware of our condition, of our propensity to take things for granted. And so he instructs us to first adore God when we go to God in prayer. Jesus' prayer prescribes our priorities. And in doing so, we begin to learn how to pray. So this week, if, if like a lot of us, if you've struggled with, gosh, I don't know how to pray, that's what this series is for. And so I'd encourage you to read Luke 11, verse 1 and 2. Just make that your prayer this week. Start with adoration that God is our Father and that God's name is holy. If you're looking to level up a little bit beyond that, I'd recommend Psalm 100 to you. Easy to remember. Psalm 100 says this. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Does that sound familiar? Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So this week, if you're wondering, where, where do I start? 
if I'm going to wake up early like Jesus did, if I'm going to find a place where I can get away from all the distractions, make Psalm 100 your prayer. Start with scripture. That's, that's known as a psalm of praise, a psalm of adoration. I want to offer you another opportunity to pray this week. On Monday, on Monday at noon, my friend Brent and I are inviting our churches to fast. So we're going, to, we're going to offer people the chance to fast Monday from breakfast and lunch. Now some of us are like, you know, fast isn't the word that would describe me, right? So what's that about? Fasting is a prayerful method of denying yourself food, so you're denying yourself something essential in order to focus on something that's also vital. It's an ancient prayerful practice. Well, what good do thoughts and prayers do, some might say? Well, during the lunch hour, when we would be eating, uh, my friend Britton, Mrs. Cacuno, his brother-in-law, he's an associate at Platte Woods, and he and I are gonna get together, and we're gonna co-host a live stream called Two White Pastors from the Northland Talk About Race. We're just gonna call it what it is. Calling it what it is. I don't have enough energy in the tank to be creative, so we're just gonna call it that. And so Brendan and I are going to have a, a conversation. We're going to share some prayer. Uh, we're going to lean into the uncomfortableness of having a conversation about race. And we're going to share what we can all do moving forward for the long haul. So what good can prayer do? Well, prayer can provide a space for us to listen and learn together. It provides us a chance to deny ourselves something essential. And when we feel the pain of hunger, and you know I will, I mean, again, just call them like it is. Skipping meals, not one of my favorite things to do. When we feel the pain of hunger, that's a tangible physical reminder of the pain that so many people experience every day. So that's an opportunity for prayer. We're going to have that on our Facebook page. Uh, we'll send it out on an email blast Monday at noon live stream. Fast from breakfast and lunch and spend your lunch hour having conversations about race. To put aside our need for food reminds us of our great need for God. And in the middle of a pandemic and moment of racial unrest, it's a time for us to cry out, God, our Father, we need your help. Make us holy like you are holy. And so I'll end where we started. What good is prayer? I didn't think I could do any better than my boy N.T. Wright, who said this. When we kneel down, we're settled in the quiet chair that serves as our personal place of prayer. When we're walking along or riding in the train to work, whenever we pray, this is what we're coming to do. To pursue the mystery, to listen and respond to the voice we thought we just heard, to follow the light which beckons round the next corner, to lay hold of the love of God which has somehow already laid hold of us. As we spend these three weeks learning how Jesus taught us to pray, may this prayer prescribe all of our priorities. And everybody said together, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you as, as your beloved children. And we've, we've dedicated this time that we've set apart to be in your presence to declare that you are holy. A lot of us don't know the first place to start when it comes to prayer. And so my hope is that, that these weeks we would uh, learn to emulate your son.
and pray the things he taught us to pray, to condition our hearts after his, so that we can catch a glimpse of the relationship that you two shared that he invited us into as well. God, we have so many things around the world going on, too many to list. God, would you provide us with whatever we need in this moment? Strength to keep going. Hope when a lot seems dark. Your presence when we feel lonely. Encouragement as, as we mourn those we've lost. And the perseverance to keep fighting the battles of the pandemic and racial injustice for the long haul. Not just for a few weeks, but for a long time. That we could be instruments of your kingdom, that we could cooperate with you, that we might also be set apart, that we could stand out in, in the world and make a difference for your name's sake. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So friends, George, um, George Floyd, we've heard that name over and over again and what has happened in our country and um, his death is sad. But you know what, all the uprising comes from years and years of racial tensions and um, Adam's going to go ahead and have two white pastors having a conversation on that. And on Sunday nights at seven, starting on June 21st, um, I'm also going to host a Zoom for people to join in on. Um, my family background, my extended family, there's five different races represented. We have Black, Hispanic, Asian, Caucasian, and American Indian. So unity is a passion of mine. And um, our, what we're gonna do is we're just going to have a conversation about race because um, I did come up with a catchy thing, racial division, Christian inclusion. And it's going to be based on one of Tony Evans's studies that's on Right Now Media. So he has like 12 or 13 minute long sessions. The staff has been doing that. And then we'll just get together and have a conversation about that for about an hour. I'm going to invite some, maybe some of my family members to join in too, to give you a different perspective. So the thing about that is, is that I know that we've been having Zoom small groups and we're able to do that. And the reason we're able to do those ministries is because of your all generosity. And this is the time in the service that we offer that opportunity that, that you can give to support ministries. And you may do that. We'll put it up on the screen. You can do that by um, mailing it to our address that's on the screen, just 1000 East State Route 92 in Kearney. You can um, go online. It's real easy to give online. Been doing that for a couple of years. Or you can just text GIVE to 816-354-1760. And so we're just going to say a quick prayer over our blessings. Our holy and gracious God, God of all creation, the God we love and we serve, you are amazing. And you have blessed us with a cup that overflows. We ask you to bless offerings that are given to our church, that we faithfully use those to carry out the mission that you have sent us on, to make new disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Lord, we thank you. We love you. Amen.
making worship a priority. And it's my prayer that as we study the prayer of Jesus, that we would learn to pattern our lives after his, and that our priorities would be rearranged to reflect the holiness of God. It's now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always, both here in person and online. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.